0: Hi and thanks for tuning in to the Tales from Travellers podcast. I'm your host Greg and I'm here to find some incredible stories about seeing the world, escaping comfort zones, hearing some tips and tricks about travelling and exploration from those who have or are continuously travelling the world. So whether that be a week, month, year or decade, I'm aiming to find out more about the obstacles that they overcame, the prep work that goes into planning such a trip, what it's like discovering new cultures and making new friends that could last a lifetime, whilst also hearing about the job that feeds the journey or the journey that feeds the job. And we're also looking to find out what makes someone want to step out into the great wide open. So let's start another episode of Tales from Travellers. Today, I'm joined by an old friend and old colleague who actually came out with me in my first, or probably my only China Chinese adventure, um, Joel Harrison. So Joel, please tell me who you are but more importantly, where are you right now?
1: How are we doing? Uh, I'm Joel. I'm 31 years old. Been in China since I was, I think I was about 27 when we first came out, Greg. About 27. Yeah. Came out sounds weird to me here. It sounds like we've we've gone into some, home, uh, uh, not homophobic, some homosexual relationship and we're talking about a coming out party but
0: well, we, you know, I was living on top of you for a year. So.
1: <laughs> you literally were a flower above me. <laughs> Love that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 31 mm. years old. I think we came out to China. I was 27, I think, around there. So it's been a good four, maybe 26, actually. Yeah, I five think we were
0: 26.
1: years. Mm. Yeah, five years. But I've not I've not been out. Uh, it's it's, do you know when people talk about the traveler's bug? Yeah. The expat, expats, it's like a. Related to it, you know, it's very close. I think it's, when you get into it, it's a little bit addicting and it's quite hard to leave.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you found it quite interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come into it more, but you've had the kind of the luck of the draw of being in China, both pre-COVID, during COVID and post-COVID. I oh, don't think we know, can say post-COVID
1: COVID yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, for, almost in the UK for me, it's a post-COVID life, but for you, unfortunately, you're, you, you're just post-lockdown. Yeah,
1: Again. I mean, it's it's literally right in the mix of COVID right now. Here, it,
0: Here's like COVID's just,
1: it's it's like UK three years ago, I think. Three years ago, two years ago, something like that. Two, two maybe.
0: Two years when we, when we were in our prime. Yeah. I say prime, that's a good thing. Well, let's not dive too much into the kind of the um the, the, the misery of COVID because I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. No, I mean, that's here. a
1: podcast on its own there, Greg. I'm sure it's yeah.
0: been done to death by now. <laughs> But let's talk more about you, because that's fantastic. So you're you're in China, but what I would like to know is how did China end up on your plan? Was it always a plan? How for did China the, for up the, the
1: first time, when we came out there, I think we've spoke about this in a podcast before, Greg. But we, well, me, I I, I didn't plan on being an expat. I, I did, but not in the same aspect. I. My original plan, I was working in IT, a boring job at 25, not really, a little bit directionless with life. And I, I had the plan to go to Australia and live in Australia. Um, so I was in the middle of saving for that. I think I needed, I wanted to maybe do another six months to a year in my job and then move out there, continue in IT because I thought it was a stable kind of career. And so then uh, I wanted to pay rise and um, asked, So I thought, oh, how's the best way to go about it my boss? So, looked and applied for a few of the jobs. I just wanted to show my boss here, like I've been offered this amount of money. Can you match it? I'll stay. I was happy where I was. And then, yeah, I got a, a random cold call. Um, someone had scouted my profile and asked if I wanted a job in China. And I don't know how similar of an experience you had to this, Craig, but I was like, it seemed very suspect. You know. Yeah especially because there, there was offering money that wasn't amazing, but when you considered it to the price of living and the potential of saving, it was like, it was a really lucrative offer because they offered you housing with it. And yeah, yeah
0: almost everything. The only thing you had to really pay for was the things you want to do in your own free time.
1: But... Yeah, basically. And yeah, like the the salary was more than enough to for you to be able to do that. Um, did you, did you ever have any issues with is this a real offer or is this like a African prince trying to help you <laughs> no. with a bank account?
0: Yeah, one of those fun little gmails. But yeah, for me, I, I, I tend to overthink everything. And I generally thought if I sign up for this, someone's going to take my kidneys. Yeah. But no, it was exactly the same. I had a random call. I think someone scouted me through LinkedIn or probably on read where my CV was at the time. And um it was a yeah, all right, sure. Well, let, let's let's see where this goes. There's no harm in having a phone call, and then it probably the same thing with you. You have that informal chat, and then it turned into a um <laughs> like a, a a speaking test, and then you did the speaking test.
1: Out. I'm not sure if I did. I mean I can't remember it very. Well. What was a speaking test?
0: So they got you to put, pull out the sentences, and you basically had to pull out which ones were verbs, adverbs, nouns. Oh
1: yeah, I did have to do that as well. Yeah, I did. I I was panicked at that part because English, even even now, English is not one of my best subjects. Even though I'm an English teacher and have been for how long, and just categorizing words like that, man, the stress.
0: Yeah, especially when you're put on the spot. And I thought because yeah. I remember doing it in the because we went out in September of 2017, maybe, and I was doing that phone call, doing the test in. July, so the, the few months earlier, and you know, England as anything has got horrible summers of about 30 degrees. You know, it doesn't sound like much, but mm. when, when that's all you know. I was sat in my car like a dog in a supermarket <laughs> market car park, sweating trying to get my brain to process these words whilst I was like hiding doing the interview. Um, do you know um, what? Like, reflecting on it now
1: and knowing what I know now, but I didn't know then, I honestly don't think people can fail that test. I think they do that test to make it seem more legitimate. But actually, because now we know basically what people look for to get people out in from the UK or other English-speaking countries into China. And it is literally degree. And then some places want two years teaching experience. Most don't really care, but they okay. say they do. But I think that, that that was just a ploy to make them seem more legitimate, the, the test. Yeah.
0: I mean, I can't remember the name of the of the agency that I found, but I think we were their first load of client, of, I suppose clients or recruits. Because mm-hmm. I think later on in the year, we obviously did that promo video for them, and they've got you know, I did a research, and they got no presence, they got no recruitment. It's I bet much you fine. can even find
1: them, right? No, nah, I mean,
0: the, I think the only evidence of it is the video that I uploaded onto my YouTube. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, I. I think when we were speaking to Tong, I believe no, and she was basically, and we just wanted people who sounded English.
1: Yeah, yeah, very,
0: very much about the,
1: and really, actually, they did pretty well. If, if I think about the people that I worked with first year, and then all the people that I've worked with since, they could have got a lot worse. They could have had a lot worse teachers out there in first year. I mean, inexperienced, sure. Nobody really knew what they were doing or how to teach properly, fresh off a teeth, you know. But, but in terms of like, they were everyone was enthusiastic, they were trying, they'd turn up for work. Like, they could have got way worse people, to be honest. They did, they did submit right with the screen in the least.
0: No, I mean, I I still remember because in the contract, they had the probationary period (laughs) was it the first month or two? And I remember we were all absolutely bricking it. Yeah. Oh, no. If we fail, I've got to pay to fly home. What the hell am I going to do? And it was literally a case of, I think, yeah, no, you got passed.
1: I think with the probation period as well. So in the the offer that they that they give for you to be going out there, they, they offer flight flights paid um, yeah. as well as like, there's some other bonus I think in there as well, right? There was a little bonus at the start, just a little, you know, like yeah. grease the pot. I, don't, I can't remember what the other thing was. But there, there was something else. And um, if you didn't pass that probation, you didn't get your flight, and you didn't get that whatever the bonus was, a sign-on bonus or, or whatever it was. And so yeah. that was a big one because all of us were like, well, they could just say you don't pass the probation, and then you you've got to pay for your flight out there and back.
0: Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. back then for a lot of us, I think there was about three to five hundred pounds for the flight, and you know, it was yeah, you know, like, I mean all that money.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like the first month, so he didn't get paid for the first month because I remember I was having to use my English card in Chinese ATM machines and yeah. it was taking a conversion rate and taking, you know, money just for the use of the ATM. So I was getting bulk money out just, just to survive for that first month, so.
0: Yeah, no, I remember that as well. And it was a case of it took us a couple of weeks to get our Chinese bank account set up. But I mean, I think I was saying, I think I went out with about, I don't know, two to 300 pounds in... Um, RMB, and you know everyone was for that first month scrimping. But then as soon as that first pay slip came in, it was um big ballers. Yeah, yeah, everyone everyone
1: thought they'd won the lottery at that point. Um, (laughs) But I also do you know what? One other thing you must have felt like this at the start, and this is the thing, right? Is we're talking about things now that if people come out now, they probably won't experience at the same, definitely not at the same level as what we experienced. But um, another thing was. Not that many places accept cash. Can you remember? No. Can you remember how many people were trying to coax us into paying with our fa- like they? It was like cash was the last option, and it was a fucking hassle for us to pay in cash. Yeah, like I got turned away by so many shops when trying to buy stuff. They're like, no, no. cash. What the fuck do you expect me to do with that?
0: Yeah, because everything was done through WeChat, obviously. Mm. That their their main their main platform, and yeah, I mean, I mean you you. What we quickly learned is that, yes, we did end up having to do everything through that app, and we had to, much. yeah, and we had to learn how to effectively ch- change how we processed everything. We're used to tapping on our cards at the time; that was like before yeah. was like, Google Pay and Apple Pay was the thing. But everything—your bank account, your shopping, your chat, your communication—all done through WeChat. Yeah, it was, um, it was
1: crazy, actually. I mean, I've not I've not yeah. actually gone back and thought about our first experience you know is touching down actually being in china but because there was a language barrier as well as paying in cash and not not just that we had we didn't have any mode of transport at the start we literally we we went into this very rural area and there was i think the only way we could really get around is we didn't even get taxis really at the start did we
0: no, I think we were, again, we were kind of scrimping. We were trying to make sure that we did not use up what money we had. But we also, because language barrier, we didn't know what the well, bloody hell we were doing. Also, Luckily, also our... right,
1: is that awesome. stuff now yeah. that I just take as there, easy, right, is we didn't have that, not like, even with the, there was about 12 of us that went out. And mm. even with that depth of 12 people, we didn't have the knowledge to know that, like, oh no, actually I think we we may have known about, like, DD and that, but I think we had real trouble signing up for anything at the start, and we had to get the school, which it took them months to actually sort out our surf. Can not you remember? With WeChat, there was issues like we couldn't have money on WeChat because we weren't a known person. We had to get identified by somebody. Can you remember that?
0: Yeah. So WeChat has like a, a referral authorization kind of code, and um, yeah, I think. We once we downloaded it, we had to get someone to authorize it, and then there was almost like a daisy chain. Each of us had to authorize and get someone else, different
1: people to authorize each person. And not just that, I think, I think back in them days, I, I might be chatting shit, mate. I'm getting old, but I think that we there was like a probation period with your WeChat. So after somebody had accepted you, you had to wait until you could like put money on your WeChat and stuff. After that as well,
0: I think. Yeah, I think we had to. Link it up to our bank account, and the bank had to authorize it. And because because WeChat let you send those little red envelopes mm. to everyone. Because I know we do it as a joke. We put in like two quid, and whoever opened it first in the group chat got mm. the money. Or well, you we could assign so much money. So I think it was a it was more of a financial thing. Because again, because everything goes through WeChat.
1: Everything, yeah. China and mm. like China actually is their official communication app. Even at our school now, an international school, it's it's the official avenue. You know, everything has to be mm. on WeChat, which is great. Like, could you imagine if a company did that with WhatsApp in the UK?
0: Yeah, well, I guess the Chinese don't really have a have much choice, but eh. people like, just don't trust well one Facebook or anything. But yeah, people still use it. Mm. But again, because uh, WeChat schools would use it for blogs, message boards,
1: everything, promotion, yeah. it, it, advertising, it, it, everything. Everything communication with families, groups, teachers, groups, meeting everything, me everything.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I still found it weird that some of our like Chinese like Chinese co teachers they had a group chat with all the parents and everything it was like, oh, this is this is yeah. Different. Imagine if you are drunk one night, you post the wrong photo in the wrong group. I
1: I literally had that the the other week in one of my one of my classes. One of the parents put personal stuff in the group, and it was. It wasn't anything too weird but it was like it was something weird it was like memes about masks or something like this and they put it accidentally put it in one of the groups with all the parents in and the other teacher the co-teacher of that class just like wrote a message to her and was like can you remove that please and she was like oh i didn't even realize sorry but do you know what i mean it's so you don't get that as much in the uk because there's not crossover of this is my app for everything. You know, you have a different app for like your friends and your lifestyle than you do work and whatnot.
0: No, it's, well, that's probably the, one of the, the, among other things, just one of the culture shocks that you kind of find. I mean, obviously we all went out there and probably the other app that's more important for expats than anything else is having a, a working VPN. Yeah. Because so many people go out there, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, I think not just not just having a working
1: VPM, but I remember there being huge issues in first year with VPM. I think I went out there and I had Express VPM, but I only had Express VPM, and yeah. there was, I think there was a part where it was three weeks or so. It was not up for about three weeks,
0: yeah. and
1: I remember them times in Wenzhou, which I spent almost three years in Wenzhou. And after I've left there, I never think it's been as bad as that again never been no, long it, that long
0: I do remember that we got not warned but apparently the local police had alerted the school mm-hmm. because obviously in Wenjo where we were staying we were, the 12 of us were almost the only expats in that particular district I suppose and they knew where we were living, they knew where we were registered but I think they reported, they went to the school and said we've noticed an extremely high amount of VPN activity really? and I think yeah, and they basically said, "Yeah, no, we've got a, we've got a bunch of UK foreign teachers here, but I think we got a warning, or the school got a warning from it, but it didn't stop That's us anyway."
1: Super interesting. I didn't know because it's such VPN. Like, this is one thing people need to know when they're coming out to China. You live in a grey area. It's not nothing is black and white here, right? There's not. It's not like this. Like in the in the UK or America or wherever, right? You like. This is legal. This is illegal. You know where you stand with basically everything. It's not like you do something illegal and, and then get arrested. And you're like, well, oh, I didn't even realize what I did. Like, you know, you know what what's what there, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like VPNs are a great. Um, oh God, sorry, Greg, lost my lost my train of thought. VPN are a great, um, I can't think of the word, like topic or a great example of something
0: that is.
1: Just in this grey area, if it's legal, if it's illegal, like...
0: It's almost extremely heavily frowned upon, but it's a tool, which it, which it, I find even more interesting is for all the, Eng- all the English teachers and obviously just expats in general, a lot of them find that they, they're brought in for to bring in this kind of... So they can present, you know, our colloquialisms, how we speak, how we talk, you know, certain little aspects of culture from the Western world, but it's because we also have to make our own lesson plans and assets and collateral a vpn is almost a necessity but i th- but there are the gray areas i mean i think with <laughs> wenzhou because it was almost described as a rural farm like area and it was you know what four four to six hours by train from shanghai the probably the, the one of the biggest cities in the world and then hong kong at that time anyway you know a different situation was yeah you know so many hours by flight so we were in the sticks effectively And i think for them not going to, just coming back onto the idea of it being in the middle of nowhere one thing that we found and when it came to a culture shock was being the only you know non-chinese um citizens in the area people were staring pointing laughing poking taking yeah. photos yeah so Very i think prevalent. on top of that we kind of came in and did disrupt a lot of things in the era because for the first few weeks we did walk to the school, which is about 10, 15 yeah. minute walk. Yeah, my god, yeah. And we did get a lot of people stopping for photos in the first like week or two. People just staring, not having a clue what was going on. So I think that, and obviously, the, when a few of us went to register our bikes, you know, police obviously knew where we were staying. Mm-hmm. It was obviously keeping an eye on things. So I think VPNs are. Technically, as I like, say, they're in a gray area, but you know, I think that's like this, not really going legal.
1: back to VPNs. You may you raise a lot of good points there, to be honest, Greg. But, um, with VPNs, like some schools have internet with VPN attached to the internet, you mm-hmm. don't even need to have your own VPN. There's like VPN internet in schools now. A lot of a lot of the international schools that we interviewed at have that, and it's like people know that you use VPNs, so you'll, you'll see communication coming out and it talks specifically about, oh, you need a VPN to open this. Oh, you need a VPN. Um, and like, yeah, the kids have VPN. Like, it's almost seems normal at some points. And there's some points where it seems like it's very dodgy, you know, like, yeah. be, and it's it's just very hard. Even being here for three, four years, I still couldn't give a confident answer on what's, like, what to do about a VPN? Oh, should I? Because I think even if your phone got searched, which China sometimes has done it in points where they like make people leave, make people come, and there's like huge political debates going on or political issues at that time. I don't think a VPN would be enough for anything to happen. But I did read with no. Instagram and stuff. Um, they were they were recently with Chinese citizens trying to leave. They're recently um, confiscating phones and looking if they had Instagram and stuff like that. Seems to affect yeah. local people, Chinese people, a lot more than it affects foreigners. Eh?
0: No, I think so. I think as well because they they obviously have a very strict kind of government. Obviously, um communist country. But you've got um, they they want to restrict the amounts of, kind of outside influence and other country influence. I mean, a good example just to get an idea on it is how strict the um, the Chinese Film Association is and how they ban certain films they'll let certain films in or they almost insist that certain films make huge edits like they don't you know, they don't want um, films that show like a gay kiss they don't want to, I think the last Spider-Man film, you know was banned in China only because the final act of it was involving the Statue of Liberty and they said, you know, it's too much of an American symbol so they want the whole thing changed. Obviously they said, now nah, we can't change that whole part of the film and I think, you know, it, it, it happens and there's, it's very much a country where they want to I don't want to say control but they want to I think with this, there's, there's
1: definitely a lot of censorship here
0: and there's also though yeah.
1: a lot more agendas, a lot more going on than just this and that, even with that that scene that you're talking about there, like I think there's more of a script to it than just, it's too American. I think there's definitely other stuff going on here and, and there's there's stuff that probably people that are very interested in that probably have a better idea as to why that happens than someone like me. But yeah, there's definitely more going And I think that, that that's one thing with China a lot. Especially like, you've not been here in the in the recent times, right? But it's been very telling lately with the COVID situation and, and basically what's happened. I know, I know it's been um, covered by the media, especially the UK media and the BBC and that. They've still covered pieces on China and what's going on here. But living in it, you definitely get a different idea and understanding of what's going on and why than people who don't live in it, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, how, how have how have you found it? Obviously, what we get reported over here and over the last few weeks in particular has been really around uh, COVID, lockdowns, restrictions, apartment buildings being on lockdown, which I've um, I think has been fairly common. If someone got sick, they locked down everything, zero tolerance policy. But have you found that in this, say, let's say post peak COVID of the so world? So,
1: in, in terms of have how pain- have I found it, is in. How has it affected yeah, has, me or in terms of how have I found it, as in like how have I found what's going on and, and can explain it?
0: How has it affected you? I mean, if somebody were to come out there now, obviously if if someone from the UK were to come over the new academic year, how life's experience here in COVID is if you get it, you get tested, you, you know, you don't have to isolate anymore. But I mean, but people still do. So if they were to come straight from UK to China as it stands now, how much of a shift in lifestyle would you think it would be for someone?
1: It's tough. Um, I think now, especially now that it's basically opened it up and, and there's COVID, I think it's going to be you're going to be going through a very different experience than what I've just experienced in the last 6 to 12 months, give or take. Which is is where it's really been, that's where tensions have really rose and tensions have been, it's been tough in the last. I can say not just in my own perspective and in my partner's perspective, but in my colleagues' perspective, I mean, you can see how much of a toll it's taken on everyone, and it's people are fatigued, and it's it's just frustration, I think. It's so sometimes this often you'll find in China there is not necessarily what we as Westerners, what we're used to, is if we're asked to do something or not do something, we have to rationalise it. There has to be some logic that comes from it, and we have to understand. What's happened and why we need to do it as soon as we have our head around why we need to do it very easily we get on board with things right now the chinese culture yeah. is very different from us as westerners in the terms of the obedience and there is not that rationalize it there is they told to do a certain thing they respect authority they do a certain thing and there's no there's no pushback or thought towards it they do the task they move on continue you know like water off a duck's back whereas with foreigners we're not trained we're trained from a young age and this i'd say we're not trained necessarily from a young age especially not in school this was but a question. But this this goes more into educational practices right is westerners get taught critical thinking a little bit more so critical creative thinking where we find out how to problem solve how to think about how to think about different areas of a problem and how to approach problems in different areas and how to work things out so things make sense for us. For us, life is about making sense of certain things, right? Whereas the Chinese, it's more about rote learning, about memorization and having things that work in a certain way. And this is the answer. This is how you get to the answer. You do it this way. You don't uh, deviate from the path. And so as foreigners, you come out here and you have your preconceived notions that you're going to have just from your upbringing. And then you're treated opposed to how, how you are in your, your mind and thinking. And so it breeds frustration. And I've had this since our first year in China, Greg, I, I clashed even in that year with some of the teachers. And, Cause I, I'm quite moral and ethic and my morals, I do not go against them usually, which is honestly, if I was gonna give advice to people, More agreeable people will have a more positive experience in China than people that are like me and people that clash and people that will say how... Like strong-willed people, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you out here. I'd say that they're necessary out here as well because they're the kind of people that, in a team of foreigners, are going to actually raise points and go against something and say, this part isn't good and this part isn't good. But you're way more likely, like in first year, to be on the chopping block if you are that person and you do speak out when there's injustices and things that you don't necessarily
0: agree Well, so you, with. You mentioned about being on the chopping block and like speaking out. But since your first year there, do you think, knowing your experience and what you had in the first year, has that shifted how you are teaching now and how you engage with other staff? Or do you still stick with who you are, but you found the schools are more accepting that you've moved into? I think
1: that area I've always... I think every year, it's coming up to New Year's again now, right? And I think I remember a few New Year's back, that was like my resolution is that I need to just relax a little bit more and just be okay with stuff. But actually, you know, like, Sebra can't change its stripes. I can't I can't fundamentally take that part out of me. That is how I am. I just, when there's something that goes wrong, I can't help it. I'm just, and I think one of the things that's changed is that in this school that I'm at at the moment, I think they understand how I am. And I wouldn't say they appreciate it, but there's a little bit more understanding than there has been in, in some previous schools,
0: you know. What what kind of school are you in now? Is it a bit more of a kind of a, a Western education or is it still so very Chinese kind of American English? Yeah.
1: It's, you want honesty here. It's a... International school in the sense if they want to be an international, internationally minded school, right? Um they don't right. teach every subject in English, so they're not technically an international school. And they're an IB school. This goes do you know what I mean, Greg? You're like cracking open so many eggs and there's just so much to discuss in each one that like even with that last answer that I gave you, it was just such a surface answer. I didn't really I didn't really answer the question no, of or or kind of give examples of why the pandemic and why people are frustrated and that I just kind of gave an answer as to an overview of how people feel. But but so this school is it's supposed to be an IV school. And you find this a lot in China, even in the top international schools here. And there is definitely some schools, and this is everywhere actually, it's not necessarily a Chinese problem, it's a problem everywhere, is what actually comes first, what what is priorities of school. And this is something that most people would. I mean, if I asked you, what what do you think is the number one priority for a school? What 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 do you think it is, Greg?
0: Um, it's got the the welfare and, and uh, cerebral growth of the children. Right. So you think
1: yes, yeah, it's, it's something to do with children's growth or education, and it's not, unfortunately. And I think if people are coming out here with the intention of being a teacher, they need to realise from the get go that is not. That's I, no matter where you go, not just China, this everywhere, but schools are businesses nowadays and unfortunately money and it's the growth of the economy of the school that is at the forefront of any school, you know. Yeah. Like children's children's growth is a byproduct because that may help with the growth of the Marketing. economy. Yeah, yeah. The growth of the school's money and profits margins, right? But you need to realize that that one is the top one, and actually a very an approach that a lot of schools go here, and I'm not going to name schools specifically, is you don't actually need to have educational growth or growth of knowledge at the forefront, or what you need to do is you need to make it look like that's at the forefront. So right. where people spend their resources and their time in that is not actually on. The growth of the children, but it's on what makes it look like this growth of children, right, and them two are very different things
0: yeah I mean I know that, again with with the school that we were both in um, it was similar, but I, I think with us in particular, it was they were leaning on us as the westerners as a marketing tool I mean yeah you said it you said it earlier,
1: you said about how they just wanted people that could sound. English
0: they sound English they look English they you know look good in the photos and you know they kind of march them out and um I remember speaking to some of my my co-teachers about it and again they were quite passionate about teaching that you know being a teacher in China is a very respected job and um I think there was I don't know how to describe it, certain teachers were there for teaching and they wanted to move things forwards into a much more modern and, in a way, maybe because they were English teachers as well, they wanted to have it be similar to a Western educational system. And you could tell the passion was that there. there were some teachers, I mean, there were, there were some English teachers who could barely speak English, but yet they were teaching it. But it was almost a tool for the suits, let's just say, at the top of the school to push out that one, we have foreign teachers, we do teach English. And this is a way, because I think Wenzhou, again, a very business-heavy business town, there was a lot of opportunity for growth with wealthy parents. And obviously, you bring in opportunities to branch out worldwide, especially with China being like a, a global financial powerhouse of the world. It opens up much more, many more doors. So with your school, do you think that's similar? Do you think there is, from, say, your point of view, being a, a, a Western teacher, that how the school present themselves and the school and the the system to you is like listen make us look good that's all you're here for but then I suppose behind closed doors to the Chinese teachers who are there you think they're more like listen numbers have to be high you have to see a grades for example. Um, Do you think there's that crossover I, I think, I think that, doors...
1: that happens to a degree in any school in China and probably probably to outside but I can't speak as much on outside of China as I can inside China. But I'd say that my school, there's there's parts where at the start of your question there, I was like, yeah, hundred percent. But then when you said about how performance is measured between international and local teachers, I think our school blurs blurs that line a lot more. I I still get I I have so our school has a system where a lot of international schools you go to or, or schools in general in China, um, you have a co teacher where. Either you teach the lessons together, you divide the lessons where one does one, then one does the other. But there is some kind of cooperation between you and a a co-teacher. But um, at our school, we have three teachers in each grade that have their class and it is just their class. So I'm responsible for teaching a grade eight class English, and I am the only English teacher of them. They see no other teachers for English, whereas most schools you go to, they will have... Another teacher who also teaches in English as well. Um, so, no, I'm like in terms of measured progress in that, yeah, I, I obviously I'm still held to the same as the Chinese teachers and maybe even held higher on that as these are, it's called an A plus curriculum. So, it's the top students, top English students of each grade and it's the three top English classes of each one. So, they're very much result-driven in, in that aspect of them, you know. It's, it's, I mean, that, that kind of opens up a whole new topic. But if I can just backtrack slightly before we go down that road. Um, one of the reasons I'd say that this is important, what me and Greg are, are touching on right now is, especially for new teachers, I'm just trying to think advice that I could give that will help people that I contemplating coming out here and, and things that I think that would really help them that I wish I knew back when we started, Greg. And one of yeah. the things is, you, you'll come across a plethora of different kind of individuals that come out here to teach, right And <clears throat> um, one thing that you need to need to uh, kind of wrap your head around, especially if you're somebody that is thinking more of a career than thinking of someone who's doing it as a stopgap, which Either way is there's, there's nothing wrong with doing it either way, right? You don't need to be, at, to be out here and feel as if you're going to be the next, the teacher that's going to change the world. You don't have to come out here with that perception. You can come out here as just, I want to experience China. I don't really care about teaching, but it's a avenue that I can go down and then I can go travel and, and see China. And then I can leave in a couple of years and focus on some other area. Um, but if you are in, in that latter, the first category of um Somebody who's coming out here and they want to be an accomplished teacher and they want to actually teach. It's very easy to feel, especially like uh, what Greg said earlier on, that there's a lot more emphasis on the, the local teachers. And you, you may find this in different areas, like different schools, different places. You may, you may not always find it, but I'd say it's, it's there to some degree as you are like a novelty teacher. Your, your teaching doesn't matter as much, right? Like like Greg said earlier on about, they just wanted someone to, that sounds English. So it's it's hard to, to feel fulfillment sometimes if you feel as if you're a novelty teacher. And that can be a wall to get past, you know? That's one thing that I've had to fight quite hard to get past the, the feeling of being a novelty teacher.
0: Do you still feel like one? When was that moment where you realised you weren't a novelty teacher anymore?
1: It's tough. It is definitely a tough thing to, to work out. And I don't know if it ever goes... I mean, I, I questioned it recently, you know, like, does what I do actually matter? Does the school... And this is me now, like, I'm on the other side of it. I'm not, I'm not at the point of starting out and being, being a new teacher. We definitely were novelty teachers at the start. There was no two questions about it. Oh, yeah. Um, And that's what I mean, like we were enthusiastic and we cared, I said this at the start, like they got out a good bunch of, of people really, but it didn't matter, the school didn't care how efficient we were at teaching, they wanted us for the fact that we sounded English, they weren't there thinking, this will help develop these students, because that's not what it was about, it was about how they could get more students through the gates and more money off the parents of the students. But so now it's, it's different, right? Because now I'm, I'm the head of a curriculum. So I design all the content that we we teach um, and head of a team. So I have other people that I, I work with and I get to look and see what they do as teachers and try and help develop them as teachers. And, you know, I'm like I'm studying for a PGC. I'm doing a lot of things that actual teachers do nowadays. You know, I have experience. I understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I've done teaching courses. And still there's part of me with all of that that feels like maybe what I do here doesn't matter that much. Like, it's still very hard mm-hmm. to, how do you answer that question, I suppose, when you know that that is kind of rooted in the educational culture of China for foreigners?
0: With, what, what about the um, the team under you? They're, they're all Western teachers? They've, they come over with no teaching qualifications? No, 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 no. So like our year school year? now you have to be
1: at least somewhat accredited as a teacher so i've got i there's a team of three obviously i said three classes so um there's me and two of the teachers one of them's just leaving but i don't really know what kind of experience he's got. i mean i know he's taught for maybe four years five years or so he's taught for a while but i'm not sure in terms of his credentials what He's actually done. I don't I don't know. I know he was thinking about doing a PGCE, but he hasn't done one yet. He's done maybe a couple of courses, but I'm not sure what he's done. But he's leaving anyway. Um and then the other one was a she's a full teacher in South Africa, you know. She she's actually an accredited teacher over there. Um, and then she came over to China. And then the new person we've got in, he's taught for four years. He's done a Celta, and I think he's in the middle of a PGCE as well. So they are teachers that actually A proficient at teaching, yeah.
0: And then you're now taking on a PGCE, of course. Is that is that coming from a the the place of not to feel more confident in being a teacher, or is it coming from a place of I like what I'm doing and I want to progress? I think
1: there is definitely elements of both. Um, I mean, I I I know I said that we we are novelty teachers. However, I've prided myself. few years on at least being a competent teacher and i can go into any school anywhere and and teach and confidently teach with people watching and and kind of i can i can back up with with my teaching if somebody asks why i'm doing a certain thing i could give them reasons i could give them educational philosophies that it falls under i like i feel confident enough now that i could stand in a room full of teachers and explain why i think this is a good idea and, and have some validity to what i'm saying you know but um i think it's also growth and i think that kind of taps into the the reason for coming out here in general for i think a lot of people is understanding this is like you you came out here and then you you came back you went back home and then you kind of went down a path for for a career in what you wanted to do right whereas i think a lot of people especially the people who stay out here definitely comes from some uncertainty of their future and not necessarily knowing what to do. I think you've you've felt this as well, Greg, is that um, it's almost like a dreamland out here at some points, you know? Oh, like, yeah, it's definitely. not reality, or, or sometimes it doesn't feel like reality, even though, for me, it, it is. It's been my life for the last four years, five years.
0: Yeah, I mean, for for me obviously it was for me it was never really going to be well sort of, you know i fell in love with the place again because it was more of a dream like state there was coming from england where you've got this pressure of you know get a job get a career get a house pay your bills you get four weeks off in a year to go, go work, do what you want but you can't afford to do it especially now where we went over there and in when it was a case of we got good money that was tax-free we had our phone paid for us we had three meals a day at the school. We had electricity paid for, heating paid for, hot water, apartment, roof. Literally the only thing we really had to pay for is if we wanted to go out mm-hmm. on a jolly or have a meal. And the amount of money that we put away and we could literally go where we wanted, there was no restrictions, and almost that sense of, almost like blissful ignorance because of the yeah. language It felt as if, we
1: you know, and this is something I think a lot of people can resonate um, with is when you're in the UK, um, and ugh, it's it's weird seeing this, especially once I've been out in China, is here, because there's a language barrier in that, you feel as though you can do what you want. You can act like an idiot in yourself. And it doesn't matter because the people that see it, you're never going to see them again. There's such a high population here, and you're no. it doesn't matter to you. But in the UK, like there is a lot more of a feeling of judgment for, for, I, for me, right? As in, like, people can understand yeah. me. If I went and did something weird, and say if I went to the gym, and I went and did something weird in the UK, I would feel like everyone was looking at me and everyone was judging me, right? Whereas here, I don't have that feeling of judgment. Like, I don't feel as if... I've, and maybe this is something with me, but I don't feel it is because I've observed other people, that I've seen how they act in both China and the UK, and I see the differences is that you feel more as if people are observing and watching you when you're in your home country and people and stuff more like it could get back to you and look bad on your family or, or what, whatever it is. I'm not sure necessarily that the reasons behind it, whereas you don't have that in China. You, you feel a little bit more, you can yeah. act as yourself. You feel more open. More Sorry, relaxed. go on, carry on.
0: Oh, no, I was, yeah, you, you just feel more, more, more open, more relaxed and almost that, comfort of hiding in the crowd
1: and even though we we stick out like a sore thumb in the crowd there is definitely still part of that there that you just like i'm already gonna get looked at so it doesn't matter what i do anyway because they're they're looking irrelevant you know (laughs) yeah it's it's a, a bizarre feeling but there's definitely some of that in china as well and i think i think the thing is is from what you were saying earlier i think there's definitely it's definitely changed a lot from my first year when it when we were out here in our first year now for me that felt as if it was like university 2.0 you know like where you kind of get into pressures yeah. and you're there and you, you're you free and you can do it like the start of china felt like that whereas now it doesn't feel like that as much it feels feels more like does it feel more say again sorry
0: does it feel feel more like home no
1: not home definitely doesn't feel like home it it feels more like real life now it doesn't feel like that fantasy land anymore you know like there's response like there's responsibilities here now I, I have two dogs as well as my fiance and now it's it is it's like life but not just that in terms of my job now is challenging difficult time consuming and serious whereas in our first year there as you said it was novelty teachers like you go in and you'd make a lesson and yeah you teach the lesson but it felt more like it was almost like a holiday whereas now it feels like this is life you know like now I've got mm-hmm. my course going on and work going on and I've got things to do and people to help and like if I let go of any of that like it, it's just Life's very busy and quick now, and there's a lot of people relying on me to do certain things. Whereas that was never the case when I first came out of here. When I first came out of here, it was like all the free time, I could do what I want and nothing mattered.
0: I mean, because is this your third or fourth school that you've worked in? China. In
1: China? This is my fourth,
0: fourth school. Yeah, and I suppose, kind of over that time, all these different schools in the different districts as well after a while it does just it, it would naturally, it, would, it just loses that sense of the is week just like university would you, you get used to it so and you, you become familiar with it think, and as time progressed and you're looking to move oh, yourself forward more.
1: I, I think for it me it's a little different than maybe what it'd be like for other people because I think it's less that the novelties worn off and it's more being that I have seeped, I, I have sought trying to I think I think we kind of spoke about it earlier where we said about being novelty teachers and that's something that never sat well with me and so I've always tried to find the next thing the next thing to make me feel as if what I'm doing makes a difference here and that there's fulfillment and that there's that yeah that I'm actually helping these students and actually progressing them and, and you know maybe setting them up for a better life which is for me important but it's not uh, necessary out here, right? There is you the the, the kind of lifestyle we had in our, our first year, where it didn't really matter, and you you don't feel the stress. That's entirely possible to to find a place like that and stay there, and people do that. It's I think for me, it was more my character of I want to feel important, and I don't know if is the right word, but I'm making a difference.
0: So you want to feel like you're valued, yeah validated, or... maybe. Where after those kind of initial months of realizing, you know, again, you know, that kind of novelty teacher and like the the novelty foreigner, did it did it cross your mind then that you know being an expat was going to be a long term commitment? Or were you, because it's it's quite interesting talking about this. You wanted to break this kind of bond of being the novelty teacher that we kind of were in Wen and now you're planning curriculums, you're managing a team, you're, you're you're you sound extremely passionate about you know making sure these children kind of have a a bit more of an education or a bit more of a sense of freedom and that kind of you know that thought process and developing themselves so it was it a plan to be long term and thinking I that's think what you wanted
1: not necessarily in china i i tried and failed to get out of here for good at, at one point and it somehow <laughs> somehow managed to claw me back in but I think in terms of I've, I've never really had high aspirations to live in the uk and we we kind of touched on this before we started the podcast about how i think people people's own experiences especially when they're younger or during school or whenever it is kind of shape where they'll go to in the future you know people that have happier and more fulfilling upbringings are probably a lot more likely to try and stay closer by whereas people that don't necessarily enjoy their upbringings and there's, there's maybe parts missing for them for one reason or another, are probably a lot more likely to, mm. to move further away, let's say. And I think that I've, I've always came, my, my whole family is, well, my, my siblings at least are very much ambitious in terms of traveling and going out and going to different countries. Like all three of us have lived abroad. But I think for, for me, it's more been not living for the experience of abroad, but actually trying to find somewhere that I feel more satisfied with life. I don't really like living in the UK. There's there's problems with living everywhere. There's definitely problems with living here and there's, there's ups and downs to it. But for me, living in in the UK is just something that I wouldn't want to do. I see I commitment scared me there, which I think is half of what brought me out here in the first place you know i see mm. people just get into dead end jobs in a young age or get onto that ladder of trying to climb up and get promotions and it's just never interested me that much to be honest in the uk i see it just i think i somehow associate that side with just being depressed and living for the you know like living for the weekend and like they're only escapers to go out and drink and I've always felt like there's more to life than just that.
0: Yeah, that whole mentality of yeah, work to live and live to work. And, and,
1: and I, I think that you can, you can still work to live. But I think just the people that are living, yeah, living for just going out and drink, living for that small release, and then they're back in it again. It's just quite a sad way to live.
0: Yeah, just something that doesn't appeal, and it doesn't appeal to. And that's why that so many people do do tend to leave they go abroad i mean a lot of people as we mentioned earlier places like australia and new zealand people a lot of like go to thailand china um even some go i've got a few so like, Canada.
1: my partner just getting just opened the door to come in the room and then we both just made a panic face at each other, and then she shut the door again
0: <laughs> i can't understand. my dog's just staring through the window she... at the moment but well um
1: Sorry, mate. That's,
0: that's my fault. But you, you. No, fine. That, that that's the joys of life. But a, a quick a quick detail. We both know that you um, obviously when we were talking our first year, you you know you you, you brought up that you have had this huge sense of wanderlust. You you like to travel. You I mean you had family that were in Bali. You went to Bali for some time. You you always brought up Thailand as well, and I think for a lot of English people, Thailand does have this sense of, again, this kind of dream like escape. It's a yeah. very lovely, beautiful tropical country, with again, a high expat community, especially from England, and the opportunities for teachers are there just as, almost as much in abundance for the size of the country as it is in China. Unfortunately, you kind of went to Thailand as yeah. COVID became a thing. But, and I think it'll be great to dive more into this in a future podcast, but From COVID hitting you while it was in Thailand and having to come back to England, what was the um what was the decision maker that said you know what no I'm going to go back to China instead of going back and finishing off that Thailand? That's a good question,
1: Greg. I think I've ever really given it that much thought before. Well, I I it's got quite a simplistic answer, and that's that's due to with with I lost a lot of money in Thailand. I put put a deposit down on a on a apartment there which wasn't cheap and I'd just done a a teaching course while I was over there which I was having to pay for my living expenses as well as the course at the same time so when it got to me actually getting into work there and starting to recuperate the losses um, COVID had hit and school shut down and the school that I just got a job at which I I always kind of wonder what would have been with that school because it was a trilingual school that spoke Thai, English and Mandarin and the mm. school seemed lovely, um, but yeah, it shut down as COVID happened. And then um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she, she was very panicked anyway in, in life. She, she well, didn't have necessarily a calm mentality for traveling. And then with COVID, I think it just uh, ramped up her anxiety and she decided she couldn't do it. So then we had to leave. I think I would have waited out and stayed in Thailand if if it was my choice, solely my choice. But, you know, it's yeah. not just about that. And then being back in the UK for eight months. And, and in that time, it was very hard to get work. I was doing some online teaching for Chinese students, but nothing else. And um, then an opportunity arose with one of the people that we went out uh with in the first time we went out to China and we both decided maybe we look back into getting to China because it was very hard to get work in the UK and I was losing a lot of mm. money and yeah then we veered off into into going out there and then he didn't even manage to get out because they closed the borders I think a week before he was supposed to fly and I just made it I made it by a few days. Um but yeah, so I think, I think part of it was the, the money. And this is one thing is that, yeah, you can, if you're going to be an expert and it depends on what your skills are or because the reason that teaching is quite lucrative is like me and Greg said, at least when us teach, so I'm not too sure now, but you could go and teach with relatively nothing other than a degree in an unrelated area. So there was quite a low bar to going out and being a teacher abroad. You know, Um, it was quite easy to actually get in and and be a teacher. Whereas I think in other professions, I think you probably need more experience, more time to actually go in and do a specific Mm. qualification in order to go in and be whatever out here. I think... A few people that i know out here have transitioned from teachers into other areas but usually they get a foothold either in in teaching or or they're already experienced or qualified in a different area but if if that is your your goal to go and be an expert china is where the money is and that's that's one thing that draws a lot of people into china is there is only a couple of countries that can compete with the salary, which is the Middle Eastern countries. And with them, the cost of living is considerably more. So if you wanted to go and teach in Thailand, it's entirely possible, and it's possible to save as well. I think the problem is is that with, with, um, with people who go to China first, you then compare everywhere to China and you compare the amount of money you get. If I went to Thailand first, and I'd look, or even our first year in, in China, right? Um, I, I compared how much I was saving in that at that time, and how much I was making, and how much I was saving in. And then wherever I go after that, I compare it to that. So like, if I went to Thailand or somewhere now, me, me and Ingrid are actually looking at going to a, a different countries. We, we are considering it in the next couple of years. And you're obviously comparing everything to what you're getting now. And it's just, it's quite a hard, it's a restrictive way of looking at things.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's what you get comfortable with. I mean, I think that's the same when anyone thinks about moving to a different city or like just changing job, you do think about what benefits am I getting? What pay am I getting? What's my commute time like? And obviously when you're, I mean, even before I left, I was looking at other opportunities. I think I was Japan, at like yeah, South I remember. Korea, and Korea. Japan. and obviously, their, their requirements are significantly higher. Or again, a lot of it, like with Japan, there are, were opportunities, but it came down to, yeah, you'd have to pay for accommodation, pay for your food, you just get your like salary. It's like, oh, God, oh, I'm I quite enjoy not having to mm-hmm. pay your rent. <laughs> and, um, same in like South Korea. Then again, I was looking in Thailand and I've got some family out there. And it was a case of. Yeah, the, the significant pay is significantly day. lower because again the country yeah. is not as, you know, financially well off as China. But you know, it, um it's a thing and you know, so we, we still know a few people who are out in China and they've moved on to other areas, other towns, and whenever I speak to them it's a case of I'm earning two, three, four times as much as I was in Wenzhou. And it's it's crazy. But then again, it's where the demand is and you know china has always had a high expat especially for teachers and i think one of the other ones is that they do look for people in marketing as well and it and even personal trainers there are some like almost job roles you wouldn't expect to be mm. in such demand but um yeah china you you can't help but compare it because the cost of living and the way of living for a, for someone who comes from england which at the moment has got quite a high cost associated with it to live here.
1: Well I think I think one that thing that, that most I mean,
0: people think... do is they compare
1: basically it's just it's it's all just about potential for saving, right? I think that that figure matters more than anything else. It doesn't matter about how much your salary is necessarily. It's just your potential for saving anywhere. And it it is problematic. I was just saying about how it it restricts on where you're going to actually seriously consider Jobs because even, even say if I went to Thailand and my potential for saving goes to 600 pounds a month, let's say 500, 600 pounds a month is my potential for saving. Now, realistically, 600 pounds a month saved isn't that bad, really. I mean, I think that's probably overestimating it's probably around 250, 300 pounds a month, right? Still, that, that amount to save isn't actually that bad. But you, you compare it to here and you compare it to back home and, and how much you can save there. And I think part of the problem is just systematically now, our generation is a little bit screwed. Like There's so many people that can't afford to put deposits down on houses that don't have the money to save, and there's people that aren't saving anything. And it's, it's tough because the value of money and saving at the moment is fucking massive. Like, you actually, like, you need that just to have some security. Like, there's enough stuff that gives you anxiety nowadays, let alone having anxiety not to fucking have any security behind you. What if I do go out of a job and then I can't find anything else? And what have I got to survive? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's tough because we're, we're in a mindset where the majority of people feel like that Already, that like I need, I need some kind of security, and I need to make as much money and save as much money as I can, whilst I can. Like, we're already in our thirties, and I'm like, fuck! Like, I've already got to start thinking about retirement at thirty. It's just, it's insane, and just, just how crazy it is, you know, like the pressure of, and that's what I mean. I, I, I can save an okay amount at the moment compared to like what I thought I'd be able to save when I was younger. Yeah, I'm still stressed about financial situations and then that turns me off and and makes me restrictive of where I would actually consider working because it's such an important thing for me now it's just yeah everyone in general but
0: it ties into that whole point of you know when you're in England you're brought up go to school get your education get a job get this do that buy a house raise kids um retire if you can and um you're supposed to live off your retirement pay until you pop your clogs and you can't help but think about that and it is scary when even when you move abroad to be an expat and whether you're going there for long term or the short term you will realize you can't help i mean i was in the same thing you can't help but even without thinking about it think 5 10 20 30 years in the future like where am I going to be? It's such a destructive things? way of
1: thinking as well to have right. to constantly put that much emphasis on your future, you know, that you can't really be present, you know what I mean? You can't be present and in the moment when you you constantly have that over your head and and, and not just that, it's just going through life and doing the the standard things, to you know, getting married, having kids, it's, this, buying a house, there's such pressure and it's so costly just to do the basics you know you're not asking to go and live in a beautiful area and have a five room and five bedroom like just the basics nowadays is so expensive that it's everyone's kind of put in that box unless you were like one of the lucky few that was born into such privilege you don't have to worry about it It's, it's it's tough
0: it's it's something that people can't avoid. And it's, it's it can be one of those reasons that people I would not I don't want to say escape, but that's why people do lean into, you know what, I wanna travel on want to. Travel, I want to explore, you know, this I want to,
1: this explore. kind of brings me on to a really um, interesting thing I want to talk to you about, Greg, but we are I'll tell you what, you think we're off topic now. I'm about to go <laughs> I'm about to go through the cornfield to the side rather than carrying on the road.
0: Well okay, I'll then. tell you what I would like to do. Because um, I feel like we've got so much more to talk about, I would love to get you in for another episode. Um, because I feel like there are so many so rabbit holes that you and me can dive down and explore sure. and enjoy. And I also I want to start talking about a bit more of your kind of kind of time here, that the way you settled down. I want to talk a bit more about your PGCE. I want to talk about you know as much as we were just talking about how scary it is planning ahead. I want to talk about what you're feeling for the future. And I also want us to dive a little bit more into say let's just say you know the adventure side of things definitely i feel like come with it and there's
1: so much to discuss we we've not necessarily put the best foot forward for living in china i don't think we've looked that much at the positives or
0: but i mean that was the thing i think again it's a very british thing to do where you (laughs) you can't help but be kind of self-deprecating about everything and just think you know what yeah and like (laughs) like you say you know everything's shit but there are so many fun things, and I think that's what we will have to do is dedicate the, n- the next episode to it. But that's where we can dive into things like obviously um, foods, um, getting a bike, going to the yeah. gym, eat, you know, just all these ridiculous things. And even you know, having, not, you know, it's not often you'd think about. Effectively, you know, you would not be able to do it here. You know, I think it happened a few times. Right? You, you were in China, weekend away, yeah, we've got Saturday, Sunday off. Screw it, let's let's fly to Shanghai, let's hop on the train to Hong Kong. And it's like, yeah, back at work Monday. It's not like you casually, you know, yeah. so casually mentioned, you know what, let's, okay, let's hop on to London for the weekend. Because now nah, I can't afford that. But um, these are the kind of things Honestly, I think would yeah, be so, great for us so to dive much, into more. So much to dive so,
1: into in, in them areas. So much.
0: Yeah. But I, I think as almost as much of a, um, not so much of a bright picture we paint. I think it's very, I think it's been very helpful. Because we've, we've talked about, yeah, we, we, you, you and me went out mm-hmm. there. And we had no experience, kind of made life, it. We, we took it as we come. I think you and me were quite, you know, a, a, as it came, and um, we just approached everything as it was. You talk about your mentality, and this, you know, one a conflict, but the way that you would still cling on to how you would want to present yourself, even then as a you know novelty teacher, quote, unquote. But we also talked about kind of saying of this life, this, how life is in China now. And I think... You know, oh, yeah, we, of course. We've got think, to talk about for one I think one thing
1: before. I'd like to just... Pass on while, while we're uh, talking about mentalities and how it was is I think one thing that you need to do whenever if, if you want to be an expert is you need to first understand yourself as in what are the comforts that I need and I'm not talking about like necessarily you know like a certain food item that you, you take out with you but just I think one thing that I've learned to do and that I do really well and, and it helps me thrive whenever I move or, or go to another country is I know I have almost like an invisible tech, uh, tick list of things that I need to to feel like this place can be my home, you know, like, um, and, and figuring out, it's, it's obviously gonna be different for different people of, of what they need and what they need to be able to find in that area. It could be something as simple as a restaurant that you need of that reminds you of home, like an Indian restaurant or whatever it is that you know that you can get at home. It could be as something as yeah. finding a activity that you did at home, whether that's football, fishing, whatever it is, right? And and finding that. But I think having that kind of plan thought out before you leave really helps you to be able to direct. Cause when you get there, so many new things get thrown at you that it can be difficult to organize your free time efficiently right but if you already have an idea of what it is you need to find to then be comfortable in that place it can be the make or break for whether or not you go there and you have a positive experience and stay for a while to a negative experience where you leave after a little bit and decide that you can handle it
0: if i can remember correctly i think some of yours were oh, to start with mma down the drain. <laughs> to start with. and i remember you were quite quite a fan of Mexican oh, food.
1: Yeah, it was a good Mexican here.
0: You were adamant to make some well. Yeah, no, that. yeah,
1: definitely. I think just <laughs> I I have to find certain sports wherever I go. Like it was, it did start with jiu jitsu because I was doing that a lot before I went out. But the gym, obviously, finding a good gym is very important early on. Um, getting your, getting your mind mm. ready. Um. Uh, It was a restaurant. Now it's more home cooking, you know. Actually finding a place that has a open flame, so like Hobbs with an open flame rather than a hot pot, is really important
0: for me where I'm
1: living. Um, Yeah, and then like football, finding a place where I can find a community for football, badminton, it has to be a sport. I go through sports like no man's business, but like I have to find some kind (laughs) of... Sport, where then I, I get community, I find other people, and then from that I can get comfortable. What yeah. are yours? What would you say yours
0: are? Oh. Well, my comforts were going abroad. Um I mean, as difficult as it was, it was finding a, a bookshop that sold English books, which there was an English section ah, in Mixie yeah. when we were there. And... I'm quite, I'm quite a fan of uh, taking walks and yeah, seeing the scenery. And luckily, that's and when go, for me now it's, it's now. on a bike,
1: but it's yeah, that's Sorry. a huge one actually. It's just familiarizing yourself with the area. You know, like what what I find you do is at the start, maybe you start by just being like, you know, if you go somewhere that you're not familiar with and then coming back, it's when you're then familiar with the area, and it starts with like a very small thing that might just be like your road, like. Oh, I know where we are now because we're on this road. Or, oh, I know these apartments, you know, like I know my apartment, I know where my floor is, and I know how to get there from the complex. And then just as you go, just your scope goes further and further out. That, like, okay, now we're in, now we're in Fashan. So I know this area. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just starts to pin yeah. up and just.
0: That's where you're, 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 yeah, your radius of where you can yeah, yeah. go just gets bigger and bigger. And I remember the day we all decided to just like ride to the end of the bloody road and like oh, well, do God, you know I remember that out. though
1: like because we go off I'd be like I've still not been in this direction I've been here six months and I, I I really enjoy them trips for for me another one is like an e-bike or getting some kind of mode of transportation and then oh, yeah. from there like I there's nothing I love more and I do this wherever I go is I'll know an area so like I would know like my whole area of where I live maybe say a kilometre in each direction I'll know. But there'll be like one road I've never been down. And there's nothing nicer than just going down there and then just like mapping out the whole of that area. And But sometimes you're like, what? I didn't know this. we had this, this close. I mean, I think it took me about two months to realise it was a 7-Eleven, like five minutes from my house.
0: There are always those great moments though. You just feel like an absolute... Yeah, I, like found, found something no
1: good. one else knew and really everyone knew about it for months before he... you. Yeah. Mm.
0: And then you end up going there way too often. I was I was the same with that. There was a chicken shop up the road and they just sold... It was effectively yeah. <laughs> Wenjo's version of KFC and that became like a payday, oh a payday God, treat or yeah. the hangover treat. Or Bobby's pizza, you find those those things that remind you in even in the slightest mm-hmm. bit of like, oh god, this is comfortable. It does. It's uh, like that. It that's like they hit
1: a dopamine, right? Like you find that shop up the road, and you're like, oh my god, it's like it's not really a big deal, but you act as if it's something <laughs> amazing you found.
0: The shopkeeper is actually yeah. more standard that they have got a foreign person walking. To their place. Yeah. Oh my they're god, like, they like and you're and over to water, the window seat.
1: Come sit. <laughs> come sell on this one. This one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, no, no. Um. <laughs> well, Joel, I'd like to say thank you again for hopping in on this, and hope to get you back because there oh, is we've not even gone so through your much list, more Greg. that I want to talk through with you. No, well, th- th- this is this is one of them. You're, you're a person <laughs> I've written a lot about. You're one of the guests I know quite well, and the the, the real kind of interesting thing. I'd like to leave it on this note. Actually, you're you're quite i'd, I'd want to say an anomaly but you're quite unique in the fact that you're an, you're an english person living in China, but every single person that i've asked about coming on the podcast or just spoken in general they're all on social media and someone and they they will always do instagram they'll you know well it's usually instagram and um you you're not a social nice media social. man you're you're Is there a reason for this or is this you want to live in the moment like we were talking about earlier and not hide behind a Social media now
1: is a big one. I can't remember when I got rid of... My last social media, probably was Facebook or something. I got rid of that. It's been over five years now that I've not had social media for. Probably longer. But it's so freeing not having social media. The thing is, right, is I can't probe myself and pretend that I'm some... I'm better than you. I don't use social media. I can't can't do that because I still... And I I thought I was out of the loop. There was a while where I was like, "Yeah, I don't have social media. I'm not influenced by all the." But still, like YouTube algorithms, because I like to actually be off social media completely. I think you have to stop with YouTube. Stop with basically all all the mainstream media channels, including Netflix, social media that basically still cater towards you and and take information out from you, but. But it is freeing not having that. I I never really enjoyed social media and I'm I'm glad that I'm out of what I notice, right, is it's not just social media that does this. I think just how life is today is that there's a lot of people with mental health issues and, and struggling, anxiety issues and I think a lot of that is that we feel judged on everything we do, and that's because we put everything out that we do, we put there to be judged by putting it on social media and that and not not having that part of my life where I don't have to worry about how people judge me or what's going on is it's definitely opened up more real connections like the people in my circle that I speak to now I have to make an active effort to to find their name and then send them a message and a message directed at them which there is no illusion of whether or not I was thinking about them when I wrote it you know like every person who I send a message to, I've made that effort to actually find them and then send a specific message to them of things that I care about that I want to know about them. Do you know what I mean? It's personal. It's a personalized message. And Mm. I think you can lose that aspect on social media because you could put stuff out there that you may have been thinking about a person or people that mean something to you at the time, but it's going out there to everyone that it can kind of lose some of that value that I think you should have a lot better connections with people when you don't have connections with so many people. It's weird as that
0: sounds. <laughs> oh, I like that. I really go and put it on
1: Instagram, Greg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll, 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 go, I'll go put it on a nice blank background in nice bold Yeah, text. put it on I'll Instagram. I'll in see it. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make the personal in impersonal. <laughs> but again, thank you so much, Charles, and I'm looking forward to seeing. it to the next one
1: you can you can cut the recording there thank you very much for having me
0: thanks for joining me today if you enjoyed please consider subscribing we have a new episode out every week from new guests and even those from some returning to give us an update on their travels if you'd like to be on the show to share your story whether it was in the past one you're halfway through or maybe one that's about to begin you can drop me a message on instagram at tales from travellers i'd love to hear your story and share it with those eager to listen and learn more about travelling So until next time, happy travels.